0: Welcome back to the Minivan Dad Soccer Pod, the only soccer pod with a host who actually will admit to driving a minivan, part of the U.S. Fan TV Network. I'm your host, TJ, and this is Episode 4, Better Late Than Never, or is it? Once again, this week, we'll have no introductory music and no guests, because I have yet to figure out the technology, so on that note, let's start moving forward. Although, my introduction, I believe, has been called into question this week and taking a look at my own insurance card I took a look at it and it calls my car a station wagon I drive a Mazda 5 I like to always refer to it as a mini minivan because for a minivan it is small it's not the beast like a Toyota Sienna or Honda Odyssey but it is a minivan it has two sliding doors it has the the front nose that looks that way but yet State Farm now calls it a, it calls it a station wagon so now I feel like my whole existence of the pod is being called into question. Do I actually drive a minivan, or do I drive a station wagon? Either way, I'm pretty sure for a dad it's kind of in that lame side which works perfectly for me, so until I hear otherwise, we'll continue to call the Mazda 5 a minivan. On next week's show, we'll be doing an in-depth a review of the curtain raiser for the Club World Cup of Team Wellington against Alain. We'll have a recap of Guernsey's win over VCD Athletic from Saturday. AS Roma had a couple of games over since I last recorded. A league game on Saturday and then the Champions League game today. And we'll do a quick little bit on that. A little bit on MLS Cup. Uh, Cincinnati FC and their expansion. The A-League is, looks like, sounds like it's going to expand as well and then CONCACAF being CONCACAF with the Ottawa Fury. So to kick things off, we're going to go with the gut punch of the day, being Team Wellington dropping to Elaine from the United Arab Emirates in penalty kicks after 3-3 during regular, during regular time and no goals in stoppage time. It's a gut punch because I kind of got behind Team Wellington. I think I've addressed this in a previous show when Ross Allen went from Guernsey down to play for Team Wellington and I started following them with the Oceania Champions League and I went to work this morning, was all excited about the game, not really having high expectations. I mean, it, it was a long shot for Team Wellington and had my jersey on, was excited about the game, had it on in the background while I was working and then the dream start for Wellington for Team Wellington. Bassia with a wonder strike in the 11th minute, putting the putting the part-timers, as the announcer liked to call them, from Wellington up 1-0. Four minutes later, Clapham gets a slotted pass, finishes it nicely. Next thing you know, within the first 15 minutes, Team Wellington is up 2-0. And at that point, the announcer really really stopped referring to them as the part-timers from Wellington or from New Zealand and realized he was actually going to have a soccer match to call that day. And I don't know who the announcer was from FIFA slash Fox, all I know is he did a good job don't get me wrong but kept referring to Wellington as like this team full of part-timers and I know they are there's no question they they all have jobs they and they play part-time but to call them part-timers was kind of doing them a disservice so in the 28th moving on with the game in the 28th minute Elaine gets on the board thought they got one back with a goal and VAR correctly overturned it The play started when there was a foul on Watson from Wellington, and it was a foul. It looked like there was a slide in, the ball got pushed away, and that's what started the attack for Elaine. except that the foul was kicking Watson's foot, which Watson's foot hit the ball, and that was the turnover that led to the attack from Elaine. So VAR got it right. It really wasn't. That's what started the attack, and that's so the goal was taken away. Then we move forward to the 44th minute. Um, we had Mario Illich unmarked on a second header off a corner kick, and a dream start first half for Wellington. They're up three nil in the 44th minute. You're thinking, they're, I'm thinking they're going to go into halftime up three nothing. This game is really, if it's going to be over, that's going to be it. However, to me, the turning point came less, less than two minutes later when Elaine got a, got a goal back. Sloppy turnover, Shiitani scored. Now you're going in 3-1 instead of up 3-0, and I think that just kind of kept the game in within reach for Lane, and then gave them some fire coming out in the second half. And in the 49th minute, Dumbia gets a gets a nice build-up goal, exposing holes in the Wellington defense, and now it's 3-2, and it's really game on. A lot of defending for Wellington in the second half. The interesting thing is when Wellington would counter. There were gaps to be exposed. It was almost like neither team had real compact teams, and so it left it wide open, left a lot of spaces in the midfield, left a lot of spaces to run. And I get it, Elaine was chasing Elaine was chasing the game, so they had to leave those gaps. But Wellington, unfortunately, was unable to capitalize during the second half. And finally, in the 79th minute, Marcus Berg, the Swedish international, on, off a side volley, Deflects off a Wellington defender and it's 3-3 and no more goals from there. Off to penalty kicks. Now, as I said, my attachment to Team Wellington started when Ross Allen moved from Guernsey down to uh, Team Wellington. He came on for for Wellington in the 119th minute and as the announcer rightfully predicted to take a penalty. He took the first penalty and he buried it. It was kind of awesome that all the stats that you hear about Ross Allen being a follower of Guernsey that they've talked about when he made the move, the had them all at his disposal, so bravo to Fox and FIFA for having all those stats available and and able to use them. However, the penalties ultimately were not to go the way for Team Wellington when Just, Captain Justin Gully had his penalty saved and the gut punch for fans of Team Wellington was complete as Elaine moves on 4-3, in penalties and I guess overall it'll be a four three final or three three final with four three on penalties. Truly heartbreaking for Team Wellington and as amazing as the first half was watching the second half and knowing Elaine was gonna make a run. Man, it was hard to watch and <laughs> twisted and twisted stomach and knots, but a lot to be proud of for Team Wellington. They did themselves proud. They did Oceana proud and they have nothing to hang their heads about. They took the hosts to penalties, had their chances. So hopefully they'll qualify again and we'll see an Oceana team get out of the opening round of the game. So let's move on to a happier result from Saturday. And that was Guernsey getting its third road win in a row, which I can't remember the last time that's happened. This one against VCD Athletic in front of. 82 fans on a, on a rainy, garbage day at VCD Athletic. Uh, it's It was an interesting game in the beginning because it seemed like VCD allowed Guernsey to play out of the back, which what I've noticed is if you're going to, when Guernsey gets pressured in the back, they wound up playing the ball long and they seem to struggle a lot more, but VCD let him have the ball out of the back and let him play out of the back and that left... Really gave Guernsey as good of a chance as any. However, for this game, they went down early. In the 13th minute, Hudson scores a goal. It was deflected off the wall on a penalty kick. one nothing to the home side. Govine got got an equalizer in the 24th minute off of a free kick in about the same spot on the opposite side of the field. His went over the wall into the upper 90. Nothing the keeper could do. 1-1. Stayed level at 1-1 till the 33rd minute when Hudson got a second goal on a free header which he got between two the two Guernsey center backs, neither one went up with him off of a cross from the right side. 2 to 1 to the home side. And just before halftime, this is again second game that we've talked about where that I've talked about where the goal right before half seems to matter. Zachary beats a couple of defenders, gets a cross in from the left, loring making that near post run just pokes it in. And now it's 2-2 at halftime. All the confidence in the world for Guernsey. Second half, a lot lot of chances. A few chances for each team. Not tons of chances, but pretty wide open game again. Both teams playing with nothing to fear. And finally, in the 90th minute, in stoppage time, Charlton Govine was tackled after he tried to make a cross. Rightfully called a penalty kick. Now I get it, I'm a, a bit biased, but my referee's perspective, it was the right call. He made the cross, the cross was gone, and then he got his feet taken out. Defender never touched the ball. That's a penalty kick. Matt Loring converted the penalty kick. So instead of probably a fair result being a draw, Guernsey gets to grab the three points and take him back to the island. For me, the man of the match, I know there, there's talks to others. To me, it was Ryan Zico Black, who... Features here and there for the for Guernsey, but he was seemed like he was a stabilizing force for the team. A lot of good passes, a lot of just keeping the game under control. So for me he was man of the match. And that bumps Guernsey up at that point was to eleventh, but after all the results from the weekend drop, moves him into twelfth place, so they're up to a mid table team. For a team that when I started this pod was in a relegation scrap against Hightown, it's nice to see him move up. Next game, next team I want to address is AS Roma, the the big team I decided to follow. Seem to be snake bitten this year. At least in the in Serie A they seem to be snake bitten. So maybe it's the curse of TJ. It's really hard to say since I've followed them, they've had a lackluster performance against Udinese, I guess a decent draw against Inner. and then this weekend a heartbreaking gut punch I guess self-inflicted gut punch, for lack of a better term, for the draw against Cagliari. Cagliari. After they were up the entire game, they're up 2 nothing at halftime. Cagliari gets a goal back. Again, still seemingly in control. And then in the nineteenth minute, Cagliari gets a red card. Actually, two red cards for... And so that leaves... Roma with eleven on nine, somehow Cagliari plays a pass through, one on five defenders flat flat five across the back. None of them could get to it. He it gets slotted home. Two to two draw, which truthfully felt like a loss. It was, there was no other way to explain it. You can't have five across the back, up two men, and give up a goal in stoppage time. There's just no excuse for that. And then to follow it up in the Champions League today. I get it, Roma's already qualified for the knockout stages. Played against Flanzen and laid an egg in the Czech Republic with a 2-1 two, two loss. And as I said before, they will make the final 16 in the Champions League. This, this result did allow Flanzen to get into the Europa League. And in the next round, the potential opponents for Roma include Dortmund, Barcelona, PSG, Porto, Bayern, and Man City. Of course, Porto and probably Dortmund being the only two I think Romo stands a reasonable chance in. But it's a Champions League. Weirder things have happened. So I guess congrats to Roma for making it out of the, the group stages. However, like I said, I believe the curse of TJ might be jumping into play in the fact that since I've been following them, they have had a couple of draws, a couple of losses, and really not performances that they live up to their own standards in Post-game comments, it seems like the lack of heart, lack of quality in their performances seem to be the prominent theme for those that matter. But for now, the club's standing by the manager, so we'll see what happens as we move forward. And next up for AS Roma, we're going to move back to Serie A this weekend. On the 16th, they'll be playing Genoa at 1.30 Central Time from Stadio Olimpico on ESPN Plus, naturally. Next up, we'll do a quick recap of MLS Cup. MLS Cup, we had the Portland Timbers falling to Atlanta United 2-0 in a game that Atlanta United truthfully was the better team. They deserved to win, always on the front foot. Portland had a couple of chances and maybe a couple of things bounces here and there and it might have been a different game, but frankly, Atlanta was the better team. They earned the MLS Cup. They were the best team in the league for the most part this season. I know Red Bull won the Supporters Shield. However, Atlanta United, for large stretches, was the best team in the league. They played like the best team in the league, and they won it in front of 73,019 in their 1.6 billion dollar Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which was amazing for the league. It's um, the highest MLS Cup was the highest ratings since 1997. It provided an atmosphere that MLS has not seen in a long time. I mean, the crowd was loud. The crowd was uh, was fully behind their team. And I could go into detail about the fact that the Portland Timbers fans weren't allowed to travel. They only had, like, maybe 1,300 tickets instead of 5%, which FIFA likes to see. They only got to bring in one drum. I know Merritt Paulson was working on that up until kickoff. I don't know if that changed, but it seemed like every effort for Atlanta to continue to have a home crowd advantage was done. They did that. They won the Cup. Apparently, the Cup found its way to the Magic City, the legendary strip club in Atlanta, which, that's awesome. I can't think of something that seems to fit MLS better than that, but that will conclude the MLS season and we won't see the MLS again until the first round of the round of 16 for the CONCACAF Champions League which will start in mid-February. So, I guess we need I'll need something to fill in the gaps for evenings and so on. Which will take me to probably watching more of the A League and the W League because they seem to run those games late in the evening or early in the morning depending on how late the games are, I believe. It's 1:15 right now as I record this in the morning, and I think there is a, a W League game that'll be on ESPN Plus at 2:25. So there is soccer to be had at all hours if you want to stay up for it. And I remember with the birth of my second child, that's when I got really involved with starting to watch the W the A League and now the W League by association, and that was games in the middle of the night. So soccer on at any time, live sports better than no sports. So. At any rate, um, the A-League is going to expand. It sounds like they're going to add the Western Melbourne Group and Southwest Sydney. It seems in you know, the counter-argument is that there's a lot of decent markets in Australia that don't seem to be being utilized. Maybe adding a team in Auckland to have a rivalry with the Wellington Phoenix, um, Canterbury, Gold Coast. It sounds like there's some areas that people who know the, the A-League think that they should expand to. However, it seems like the money that is being anted in is coming from the two largest cities, the rivals, Melbourne and Sydney, and therefore that's where the next two expansion teams will happen. I mentioned the W League, which is obviously the Women's League in Australia, and I don't recall if I've touched on this before, but I do love to get involved with watching the W League in the sense of they seem to piggyback their games with the A League, they see double headers. And when they're both back to back on ESPN Plus, it's kind of cool to be able to watch a couple of games and seeing crowds come in for one game or the other. And I think that's something I'd like to see more with MLS and the NWSL, especially some of the sides that um, in the NWSL and actually in MLS that struggle with attendance. To be able to piggyback some of those games together, the Fire did it once with um, with with the Portland teams. They did their first game was the Fire and the Timbers that. Really was when the Timbers went from being the worst team in the league to starting off. They got a win against the Fire. And then the nightcap was uh, the Fire, or the Red Stars and the Thorns. And it was kind of cool that night. I got to take my two oldest kids to that game, and my daughter was more interested in watching the Red Stars game, which was kind of awesome. Until it was freezing, 30 35 degrees out, and the two kids got cold, and we didn't get to hang around. But I love the idea. I hope that the Fire and the Red Stars do that again as we move forward into next season. Also this week, in MLS News, we have Cincinnati SC. did their had the expansion draft, and Fire, of course, had nobody taken. There, I don't think out of the list they had unprotected, there wasn't anybody that was probably worth taking, so... Fire get to keep the, the team, the players they have intact, and hopefully building towards this next 2019 season. And then for the last story I want to cover tonight is going to be news from this evening that the Ottawa Fury uh, from the USL Championship is bet, won't be sanctioned or certified by CONCACAF, which means at this point they aren't going to be allowed to enter the USL Championship, which... It seems like the USL League 1 schedule came out. I don't know if the League 2 schedule came out. I only know League 1 is out. We haven't seen one from the USL Championship. This might be why, that they knew this was coming. But it sounds like the Ottawa Fury rightfully are going to fight it. They've sold over 1,500 season tickets. They're committed to USL at least through this year. Uh, There's always been talk that Ottawa is eventually going to wind up in the Canadian Premier League, which starts this year, which hopefully... be some access to watching it in the United States because I definitely will take an interest in watching somebody there. But the president of CONCACAF is Victor Montagliani. He's Canadian. He's one of the biggest promoters of the CPL as it's been developed. So this really kind of just seems like a very CONCACAF thing to do, to play politics over something like this. If Ottawa's not ready to make that move, let them stay in USL. There's precedent for it. You're, there is no, no talk about TFC 2, which is currently in USL League 1. They're not forcing them in there. You currently have three Canadian teams in MLS. You have, obviously, Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal. No talk of forcing them to the Canadian Premier League. In fact, you're hearing more about the possibility of adding a couple of teams in Mexico and making MLS or and League MX into, like, a Super League and trying to, you know... Obviously, that's the next money that's out there that they're looking at. So you hear more talk of that than you hear of forcing this United States only in MLS, Canada only in the Canadian Premier League. You don't hear talk of that with MLS, but here it is. They're going to make an example out of the Ottawa Fury. It makes no sense to me whatsoever, except that it's CONCACAF. And if it's CONCACAF, logic definitely goes out the window when it comes to that. And like I said, there's precedent for it within the United, within North America. If you want to go outside of North America, you have the Wellington Phoenix that play in the A-League. You have Cardiff City, Swansea, and Newport County from Wales that play in the English League instead of when, when the Welsh League started up. They didn't get forced to stay. They they got waivers to stay and play in England, and that's what they're continuing to do. You've got Guernsey that plays in the Isman League, which is the 8th level of English football. I get it, it's down the chain, but they aren't forced to just play in Guernsey. They're allowed to play in England. Jersey's looking to start a club up and they're going to make be the next island team to make the jump in and it sounds like they're going to be allowed into the English levels of football. You know, you got Liechtenstein that play that has all their teams that play in the Swiss league that they don't have their own league, they play in the Swiss league in the lower levels. Where you have Vaduz which I think is in the second level in the Swiss league. They've been in the top level before, but bottom line is this isn't Concept. This isn't a concept that's new. That you have teams crossing over the border. There's no reason for FIFA to do for CONCACAF to do this, other than it's CONCACAF, and that seems kind of like what CONCACAF likes to do is to do things that are absolutely pointless. So, that said, CONCACAF's going to CONCACAF. My guess is at the end of the day, Ottawa Ottawa's going to stay in USL for at least this year, and then they'll probably move over to the Canadian Premier League, which from like I said, that's what it sounds like all along. They were going to make that move, but I don't think it hurts the Premier League to not have Ottawa this year. I think they've got some strong, strong enough teams, and I think they'll be fine to build a, to develop what they need to develop. And this week, I actually did get a question in out of the, off my Twitter feed, which is at minivandadpod. So if you're looking to ask any questions, like I said, be it about soccer, be it about anything else, at pod is the best way to reach me. I'll be more than happy to answer any question that you'd like to know from me. This week's question came from Jack Brokenshire. His question is, are there any Guernsey level players that can step up and play at a higher level? Well, as we I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, we have Ross Allen that that started with Guernsey. was their lead, all-time leading scorer, scored like 260 goals in 230 games or something obscene like that. It seemed like any time he played for Guernsey, he was getting a goal or two. He's playing for Team Wellington. He was one of their top scorers during the Oceana Champions League. And he came on 119th minute today and scored his penalty in the upper 90 beautifully. The only other player from Guernsey I know that has stepped out in, in recent times is Jacob Feliz. He's currently he's playing for Crowder College down in Missouri. So he featured 49 times as a teenager and now he's playing for, except for Crowder College he played four, started 14 games of the 18 made 18 appearances total at center back he had 3 assists so seen, and that's at a national junior college level so he's playing college soccer in the states as for players on the current side I'd be curious to see what somebody you know a young a young player like Charlton Covine could do possibly making a move somewhere but the the older players I they might be able to play somewhere over in England in some of the lower leagues lower levels and the The challenge for them is even at that level, it's going to be they're all semi-pros, so they'd have to be able to find employment. The one player, however, that those who know me, I've talked about with friends, I've I've watched him play, that I think actually could make a difference and could make a huge step up, is going to be goalkeeper Cal Stanton. I've watched Cal Stanton as long as he's been he's been um with Guernsey, you know, when it was on loan from Bournemouth out of their system, or this year, I think he signed with he, he terminated his contract and is currently with Guernsey permanently. Cal's twenty years old. At night. like I said, I've watched his game. He his mental ability to play goal goalkeeper is amazing for a twenty year old. He reads the game well. He keeps his defenders in the right places. He seems to know when to take the air out of the game, when to accelerate play, and his shot stopping ability is for for somebody of size and you know he's a skilled goalkeeper that's you don't come up through the Bournemouth academy system or the Bournemouth youth system without having some skills if I'm somebody like Peter Wilt um with a USL 1 side I'm ta- I I'd take I'd sign up for Guernsey and I would take a look at see take a look at his bio I think this is a player that if he came over to states would could definitely make a run into a USL 1 a USL championship and ultimately an MLS I think he is that good However, that's the one player out of the current side that I think would really have an impact somewhere. But then again, being a goalkeeper, it's something it's a position I can read better than some of the others and knowing what their abilities are. But I think somebody like Charlton Govine could have a future somewhere. But those that are in their mid-20s, they probably, they might be able to bump up a level or two. But like I said, being that those are still only amateur or semi-pro teams, employment comes into play as well, so... Thank you for the question, though, Jack. I do appreciate it. So, for those who want to continue to ask questions, like I said, at Pod, Please ask any questions, be it about soccer, be it about anything else. i will love to be able to answer them on the show. As we come to the end of the show, we'd like to go through the Beer of the Week. This year's Beer of the Week, this week's Beer of the Week is Budweiser. Why is it Budweiser? Because that's what I had in my fridge, and sometimes you just want a macro brew. Budweiser is it's a simple beer. I guess, for overall, you can find it anywhere. To me, it's It's a good drinking beer, and therefore tonight it is my beer of the week. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. Again, in this show, the Mini Van Dad Soccer Pod can be found on SoundCloud or iTunes. If you go on iTunes, give it a five-star rating because that'll bump it up the chain from what I've been told, and that will get more people to listen to. I don't think I have anybody who's rated a yes, or at least nobody has showed. So those who listen, if you're listening to an iTunes five-star rating, or give me an honest rating, honestly. Whatever. I'm going to keep doing the show because I love doing it. And who knows? Maybe eventually I'll get a podcasting setup where I can do the soundboard and figure out the music and figure out um, interviews. But for now, it's just more of me rambling, and as I as I tend to do. So again, thanks for listening. Again, at Minivan Soccer Pod is how you find me on Twitter or at T J Zaremba. Either one, I'll be more than happy to take any questions and pre- any feedback for the show. And to conclude this week's show, as I do every week. Morbi Magis Melius. Thanks for listening.